Once upon a time... What's the big brew? <laughs> you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You can't handle the truth. Welcome to the beautiful campus of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am the Chancellor. Yeah, baby. Master <laughs> Marcus Zill. Oh, Do you like fairy tales? We have a real treat here, everyone, in the Student Union. My first ever interview with someone from the People's Republic of California, Reverend <laughs> Tyrell Bramwell, pastor at St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California. How are you doing today, Tyrell? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Mark. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, you and I have known each other for a while. In fact, you are a Wyoming boy, and everybody knows how much I love Wyoming. Where are you That's from? That's right. I hail from Rock Springs, Wyoming. The other side of the state from Laredice. Yes, yes. Uh, three hours away, two and a half hours if you're not following the law. So, <laughs> <laughs> And of course you are, because we would never encourage otherwise. Now, where is Ferndale? Ferndale is actually the farthest west you can go on the, in the lower 48 states without falling in the ocean. Uh, we're, Seriously? Yeah, it's, it's the farthest west um, municipality in, in America. Unless you go up into Alaska or over to Hawaii. And so it's pretty cool. It's um, the north end of the Lost Coast, which also adds some coolness to it. Uh, you have to want to be here because everybody's lost out here. Uh, but really, seriously, we're just outside of Eureka or a couple hours south of the Oregon border. So very far north California. Behind the Redwood Curtain. As there you go. Behind the Redwood Curtain. <laughs> You are just a creative, creative genius. You like to write uh, fictional works. You've written now, what, three books? Tell four us, counting the release today, yeah. Four no. books now. Okay, so give us an idea of the things that you've written. Okay, yeah. Um, my first book is The Gift and the Defender. It's a novel. came out in 2016, a couple of years ago. Um, it's along the lines of uh, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien type of thing, you know, allegory, sure. uh, fantasy, that kind of idea. And um, from there, I, I wrote Finding the Truth in Story, Grimm's Fairy Tales, Volume 1, which I think we're going to talk about today. Yes. And it's a, it's a commentary on 25 of the Grimm's Brothers' fairy tales, a reading of those, just walking through with Christian glasses on and taking a look at the stories. And then on uh, Reformation Day this year, actually, I, I launched Come In, We Are Closed, which is a very short, brief um, look at closed communion and using narrative, a dialogue, uh, sort of a, it's a, more of a novella, a very short novel, mm. to explain closed communion and why it's actually a tool for mission work, not a hindrance to it. And then today launches another different type of book altogether, too. Another, I mean, all four of these are different categories. Today is The World of the Wazzlewoods, a Fernandale fairy tale. And it's a little children's chapter book meant for second to fourth graders. And it's Kind of just celebrating living in Ferndale. Ferndale's kind of a unique town. Just in case I forget later, where can people go and find this stuff? Amazon's always the easiest. If you go to Amazon, um, 
probably just search Tyrell Bramwell and all four of them should pop up. If you go to my website, you can uh, also get in there. TyrellBramwell.com. Okay. Yeah. Easy to remember. All right. So from whence did this love of, uh, of fiction and writing and novels and creative, where did this come from? Yeah, I'd like to tell you a, a really grand story that's steeped in literature, but it just came from movies in the 80s. It wow. The, the greats, you know, like Back to the Future and Indiana Jones, the Highlander series. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, nothing really like high high and uh, you know, mighty there. Just watching great movies full of imagination. And then from there, I would have to say my, my love of literature and stories in, in books came from, like many, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia that uh, just grew up reading those stories and the great imagination that Lewis had and his ability to, I mean, you know, as a kid, you don't read those stories necessarily picking up all the Christian themes. You just enjoy the story. Sure. And then as you grow older and you go, whoa, Aslan is actually Jesus. This is amazing. Sure. So it just, it, it just grows deeper and deeper as you get older. You know, what's, fa- you know what's fascinating is that here you have guys like Lewis and, and others of his uh, inkling fame who mm-hmm. uh, wrote tremendous fictional works, but also wrote tremendous, really non-fictional and apologetic works. Yeah. And so in reality, sometimes we forget that you can use fiction to actually um, kind of draw people in to then read read other things that you might write that um, really express the truths of, of God's word. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I mean, what's, what would you say is uh, Lewis's number one claim to fame? Chronicles of Narnia or mere Christianity? Well, I, I would actually, I, I hate to pick, but um, to me, <laughs> I would say mere Christianity. Yeah, it's kind of a toss-up, but both, yeah. I mean, mere Christianity is that hard-hitting, doctrinal kind of you know, literature. But when you open those doors through the fiction that he wrote, people are more apt to read it. Well, yeah, and the, door swing, right. the door swings both ways, I think. I think you have people that read Mere Christianity, they're like, isn't this the Narnia guy? And then they go read Narnia stuff or other other things, or they read Narnia and then they, they go looking for other books and they're like, oh, oh this looks yeah. like a popular one. I might read this too. Absolutely true. But That's let's right. talk about your book. Enough about C.S. Lewis. Let's talk about <laughs> you. <laughs> so tell us about this, this uh, your Grimm's fairy tale project how did you come about with this idea give us an overview of how it is and maybe we can look at a couple of the uh of the stories and kind of get a get a taste for for what you've done absolutely yeah this uh emerged a couple christmases ago my my wife and i gave our daughter my, my daughter's an avid reader and we gave her the complete collection of the Grimm's fairy tales and she breezed through it so fast and she was coming down you know, we have this habit of we all kind of read in the evening and she, she came out of her room and she's like, this story is horrendous. It's like, what story are you reading? And she was telling me about Fitcher's bird, which is very, very, uh, very graphic. One of the you know darker fairy tales. And I was like, I didn't know anything about it. I never heard of Fitcher's bird. And here's my daughter just terrified about what she read. So I started, I said, well, maybe I should read these as well. Maybe they're not all Disney. My daughter can read it. I should probably read it too. <laughs> I should probably read this too. And so I started reading Grimm's Fairy Tales. And as I did, I just immediately saw so many parallels to Scripture. And so I I read, especially read Fitcher's Bird right away so we could talk about it as a family, but then went back and tried to – my goal was to catch up to her. But she finished the book so so fast. And how, how old and, was she at the time? 
she was 10 years old. Yeah. Yep. You're getting old, yeah. man. What are you, 30? <laughs> 37. <laughs> 37? Uh, Holy smokes. Uh, You're almost yeah. dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I started reading, and then I have this habit that I picked up from the seminary uh, where I have to have a pencil in my hand as I read anything and start underlining and note-taking and I just started writing little Bible verses next to the lines in the fairy tales. And I even remember my wife saying, what are you doing? Like, well, I'm taking notes. That's a, that's a kid's book. What are you, what are you taking notes? I was like, no, this is not a kid's book. Let me tell you. And so we started walking through the fairy tales of the family and, um, looking at, looking at them with our Christian glasses on our theological lenses I said, I've got to do this. And so I had a blog. I was trying to keep a blog. You know, everybody tries to keep a blog at least once in their life until they realize it just it takes so much All time. All the cool and kids are doing it, man. That's right. And so I was keeping a, a weekly blog, and I thought this would be good motivation. I'll, I'll put out one grim fairy tale every week, and I'll show people how it relates to God's word. And I did that for 25 of them. And then I said, cool, 25 is a nice round number. I'm done. I'll put this into a book shut down the blog because it was tiresome tiresome and uh what we have as a result of that is volume one of my finding the truth and story series i'm working on volume two right now of uh, the next 25 of the grimms brothers fairy tales there's 210 of them oh my god i'd like to yeah i'd like to make it through all of them um, so this is a long-term project this is a long this is a decade Probably. Yeah. I mean, at some point you might get derailed and have other ideas and have to go in that direction. And, you know, uh, well, that's what's happened with the other two books that have come out since I'm then. Sure. Is, you know, got the, as they say, the muse has taken me different places and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it emerged just as a, an opportunity to read what my daughter was reading. And then I, I saw that, you know, there's connections here. There's parallels, as we'll talk about. I'll now, you're not saying that, that the Grimm brothers were saying, like, this is what they meant to say, and this is what, what they intended to happen. That That's not what you're doing, right? It's no, 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 not at all. It's more of a devotional reflection after after reading it. Yep, absolutely. It's just it's my personal reading of the text. Um, I'm sure another Christian, and I even, I even say that in my introduction, that, you know, someone else could read this and find another connection to different parts of scripture. This is my reading. And it's meant to just inspire people to see all story as relating back to the great story. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about that with, he refers to Christianity as the one true myth that all other myths are pointing to. And that's, that's the concept is, you know, we can read and ingest any story. It doesn't have to be a book. It can be a movie. It can be a song you're listening to, whatever that if you see it through the lenses of scripture, you're bound to make parallels. And, and what that does is it just reinforces for the Christian as we're making our way through life. It, you know, when we have God's word in our heart, we go, Oh yeah, that reminds me of this text, or that reminds me of what Jesus said here in that parable or, you know, that sort of thing. So it's totally uh, just a Christian reading of the stories. I don't even care about what, you know, the Grimm brothers meant, I'm not trying to do one of those. And I, I even, I'm very upfront about that in the, in the book. Sure. Don't care about the earthly authors. I'm trying to point out how God's working through words. And this is really fascinating. Uh, well, they're probably this, dead and they can't rebut you anyways, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, they can't. That's absolutely right. Now we're, we're, Who, who's going to stop me? Were these... <laughs> How how long ago did were these written, and did you have to do anything? To, were they public domain, or did you have to do? Because you have in the book, 
it's awesome. I know people don't have it. Basically, it's mapped out. You got 25 fairy tales, and then in be- after each one, you have the text of all 25. Did, did you have to go right. through any hoops to get that to, to, to work that way? No, because they are public, public domain, um, that was pretty simple. I put it out on Amazon. Amazon actually flagged me saying I didn't have the rights, and all I had to do was send a little email back showing the publication date and that they're public domain, and that, oh, okay, you're good to go. Um, Okay. So yeah, the the original stories came out in the early 1800s. Right. The first, you know, the sort of the staple English translation came out in 1884, and that's what I did. I took that translation, and I kind of modernized it, simply like in uh, more in form, not in translation. But I I did clean up some of the V's and thou's and made it use. Yeah, kind of like the yeah. new, new King James did the King James version. Yeah, and then I broke I, I broke some paragraphs, you know, and I I put in the dialogue to where it reads more like a novel because sure. the original version, you know, you just have quotation marks right in the middle of paragraphs, and well, who's speaking? Oh yeah, now it's now it's uh you know the frog is speaking, and now it's the girls speaking, and so I broke it into more of our modern understanding of how novels read well this is just absolutely awesome and uh, i haven't gotten my copy yet you gave me a little advance uh look see at uh something it's just fantastic I, well, let's dive into we got about uh 10 12 minutes here let's dive into right. a couple of first story let's we'll go with an easy one for the sake of radio cinderella cinderella and i yeah, think we all pretty popular. much yeah we pretty much know most people probably know the back but real quick let's let's Give us, give us just a thumbnail, twenty seconds, the background of Cinderella, and then kind of what, what, what your, what your uh, reflection was on it. Absolutely. So take your your Disney understanding and let's run with it. Let's not throw it out, but let's run with it and add to it. So you got the the standard Cinderella, stepmom, stepsisters, all that kind of stuff. Well, what we don't get from Disney is that Cinderella, her mother dies, and at, at the mother's grave site, she ends up planting a tree. And she waters that tree with her tears and wow. the tree, the tree grows up and it becomes the home for birds and things like this. And these birds are the ones that Disney uses to show like getting chores done and all the help of the animals, you know? Oh, wow. Um, okay. So these birds are living in the tree and, and again, Cinderella, just like Disney portrays, she wants to go to the, the dance, the ball, um, all this kind of stuff. The, the stepsisters make fun of her and make it hard for her and all that kind of thing. And I point out some great details in all this, but for the sake of time, what ends up happening is one particular bird, a white bird, which I encourage readers to see as a dove, to see as the Holy Spirit, um, gives to this girl the gifts she needs to be able to go to the dance. And so she gets the golden slipper, not a glass slipper, a golden slipper, and she uh, gets the dress and all this kind of stuff. And she goes, and it's three times. This is a this is an old style. Uh, celebration. It's not just a one and done thing. It's, an, it's a long festival. So she goes back three different times and no one recognizes that it's Cinderella. And then it picks up with what we know from the Disney version where, you know, the prince is now looking for his, his uh, dance partner and he wants to marry her. And the two st- wicked stepsisters try to fit into the slipper. They disfigure their feet. They cut off their toes, bloody mess, all this kind of stuff. Wow. Fit in. Yeah. They really cleaned so, it up for Disney, huh? Yeah, they made it G-rated for sure. So here's here's the reading for the Christian, right? Um, these two stepsisters want to be a bride to the bridegroom, and they're the false bride. And they find this, you know, they find it hard to to please him, to uh, to pull one over on him. And, and he actually takes them home. He takes each one home in turn, thinking she's the real bride. And he finds out 
that each one's not the real bride. Hmm. And and where I, where I go with this in the reading is, if we're trying to get to the bridegroom, if we're trying to get to heaven based on our own merits, our own bloodshed, we're going to fail. We're going to be the false bride. Hmm. But if we get to heaven based on the works of the bridegroom, on Jesus, what he does, without having to disfigure ourselves, but if we go there based on his disfigurement, his blood, then we're the true bride, and we get to live with him happily ever after, like Disney talks about. So there's interesting things with that. Also, and the main point of this for me that I drive home, the big broad example is that the place of death, the grave of the girl's mother, Cinderella's mother, becomes the place where her faith is fostered and where gifts are given. So she always returns to her mother's grave and she she cries at her mother's uh, death and, and her tears that raise up a tree. And yes, every Christian should be thinking of the cross, the tree of life. Mm. And and the dove comes from, that is on this tree of life and it delivers the gifts to the, to the bride, the bride-to-be, the church. And so we have this wonderful picture of the bridegroom and the bride, boy meets girl, and Jesus and, our, and the church. We also have a picture of how prayer works, that we come to the cross and we ask the Lord for these gifts, and he gives. And every gift he gives us is given through the cross. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Awesome, awesome it's amazing stuff. We got like three or four minutes. Let's uh, let's take a look at the the next one. Sweet porridge, I believe. Oh, sweet porridge. This is a short one. Oh, yeah. uh, it's not so well known, but it's really neat when you think of it. Um, I, again, the Grimm's brothers do this a lot. It's always a poor character, uh, someone who needs help. And we have this this little girl and her mother, and they're po- both poor, and uh, they don't have anything to eat, and so they end up getting this uh, this pot this magical pot. And when they say, uh, cook little pot, cook, it starts cooking porridge. Well, one day the mother leaves and she didn't tell the little girl what, uh, how to turn it off. You know, you have to turn these things off just like you turn them (laughs) on. (laughs) And so she says, cook little pot, cook. And it starts cooking and she can't remember the word to turn it off. And so it just starts cooking and cooking and cooking. And the sweet porridge fills the house and it fills the next house over and it fills the street and the entire it's village. Not, is this reminds me porridge. of old little rascals. Um, <laughs> when, when they were making a cake and they put like too much yeast in it or something and it just kind of, <laughs> yes. and it just yes. kind of overflowing. Yes. Yes. Or when, so when you uh, ask, anyways, go ahead. So when you ask yourself, what's this story about? How does this relate to scripture? Uh, you know, for the, the well catechized Christian, we, we think of our, our Lord's prayer and he gives us the words that we, we need to say to get the food we need for the day. And we're all the poor, hungry little girl and her mother. Um, and we say, we don't say cook little pot, cook. We say, give us this day our daily bread. And what ends up happening is we get not only what we need for the day, but we fill the house with blessings from the Lord. We, we get so much that our blessings overflow into the next house and then in, into the street and into the village. And in fact, I make a point in the story of looking at it in light of uh, Acts, Acts 1, where we hear about um, the message going into Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So that would be the porridge in the house and the next house and then the whole street. And for this one, just to wrap up, the point, another point that goes with this is that we're all I mean, 
post-cross, post-Christ crucified, we live in a world that has just been filled with sweet porridge, the sweet porridge of Jesus. And if anyone wants to deny that, if anyone wants to try to live in a world without Christ, well, they got a big job ahead of them. They got to consume all this food. They got to get over Jesus. We all eat Christ in one way or another. We, we, you can start thinking about it in terms of communion, things sure. like that. But for the unbeliever who's willingly rejecting what is so, so uh, poignantly contaminated in a good way, our culture, they have a lot of eating to do to c- consume up all this sweet porridge and get the world back to a world without Jesus. Now, that's a big, heavy task. One that I think the Grimm's Brothers show is insurmountable, can't, can't be done. And as scripture would say, it's, yeah, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's here to stay. Uh, so that's kind of a, a brief, wow. dir- a down and dirty run through of how I approach it. And Just, so there's uh, 23 more of these in, 23 in this more, book. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, once again, real quick, and then I'm going to let you have some final thoughts. I got one last question for you. People can get this at Amazon, Tyrell, Bramwell.com. Um, hunt for his name, and I'm sure it'll pop up. A great opportunity. You know, what an awesome time today is December 5th middle of the week it's uh got 20 days to christmas i know i'm gonna gonna buy a few of these and then give them out to people not only you know i'm looking for this is kind of crazy you know you're what you said that your wife was like you know why are you reading a children's book and you said it's not this is really for all of us isn't it it really is yeah uh this is it's, it's meant for families it's it's part of our culture yeah not just kids, not why, just kids. why do we need fiction I mean, we, we live in a, I mean, I, we kind of, we have such bad fiction when you look at the movies and what's on TV, you know, and everything's an apocalypse. There's, there's no good story. Mm-hmm. It, it, why, why are we in such, we are in a desperate need for just this kind of thing. What, what, what are we missing when we don't, uh, when we don't read things like this? And there's so many wonderful works like this. You got Aesop's fables and, you know, you can go on and on and on. Yeah. Why is this such a need and why is there a big hole that we're missing by not taking advantage of these things? Well, these stories, they help us shape how to live our life, how to see life. Um, it's really interesting that the, the coming of the Grimm's fairy tales as they were published, it was right at the beginning of the rise of psychology. And psychologists have ran with these tales, answering this question of why we need them. Um, And as a Christian, we can do the same thing. These stories help show us how to engage a dark world with the light of Christ. And good story does that. Good story shows us, yes, it's a dark world. Yes, we even contribute to that world. We see our own sins. Not every protagonist is perfect and clean. He stumbles and fails and falls all the time. And yet, we're still saved. There's still a direction. There's still hope. There's still uh, faith to be had in the bigger picture in Jesus. Well, so that's, that's that's how I see story. Sure, and yeah. you know, we we can't. We'd be remiss to not mention that our our Lord Himself was a was a storyteller. You know, the parables Absolutely. are so poignant and so yes. multidimensional that you can't. You know, obviously, his his goal isn't just to to give you fiction, but fiction that points to a a spiritual truth and specifically to him. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And it captures our imagination. See, I mean, we can't just put out things in, in doctrinal statements. I mean, we, we need to, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. but sometimes people just need to ingest it. Like you said, with the parables in a, in a situation where their imagination is also engaged. 
well, where it's not just their their intellect. Well, Tyrell, I uh, I can't tell you how how proud I am of you. Uh, a former campus ministry vicar, by the way, wanted to make sure that's you, right. You got fear the, the tree. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Stanford University out there with uh, with uh, Pastor Stuart Crown, and of course, I want to give a shout out to to your friend of mine, Samuel Schulteis as well yes. who leapfrogged you from so- socal and now's up in uh, he in, he's up in washington state he wrote, wrote a beautiful forward to your book oh he did and, he, and what he is the, Ch- the chesterton quote that he i had always felt life first is a story and if there is a story there is a storyteller gk chesterton that's that is such an awesome quote and and thank you uh, thank you ty for uh, for pointing us to christ and using the blessed variety of, of writing and the skills that you have to do it. And I, I pray that this book is successful and that you and your family have a wonderful uh, Christmas, rest of Advent oh, and Christmas tide. And uh, we'll have to have you back on. Maybe we'll uh, take a look at one of your other books down the line sometime, okay? Absolutely. Thank you very much. And Merry Christmas to you and, and to all the listeners out there. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfu.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.